Thank you so much again for joining me this evening. That was a fantastic tour that we all just took. Thank you again, Jerome. Um, and now we're moving into the portion of dinner and conversation with Clayton and Callie. Um, so first of all, I just want to extend a warm welcome and a huge thank you just again to Michelle for being here with us and for letting this event happen. Um, to David for being here with us as well. I'm so intrigued to just learn more about you and learn more from you. Um, to Jerome for taking us through the history of Candler Hotel. Um, a big thank you to the entire staff of um, the Candler Hotel as well as the By George restaurant and bar and to Sydney for being here today. And of course to all of my guests as well for joining me and to Kelly and Clayton. Um, so first of all, I would like to briefly introduce myself. So my name is Ebehi Ijewere. I am a lead architect at Jacobs Engineering and I am also the founder and host of the Layers of Design podcast. So the Layers of Design podcast is where I really seek um, really interesting and intriguing conversations with design professionals just to really understand their thought process behind you know, the work that they do every day. And one of my main focuses right now as well is really to bridge the gap between architects and designers just so people really see, sorry, architects and the public. So the public gets to know more about what we do every day as architects. Um, so I'm just going to get right into it. <laughs> I would like if you can both please introduce yourselves just briefly and kind of give us some of your background. Sure, my name's Clayton Daspit, and I am an architect with almost 30 years of experience doing this. Um, I work for a company called The Beck Group, which is uh, headquartered in Dallas, but has offices all over the southeast and in Mexico, and I'm the design principal in the Atlanta office. Um, I've been with Beck eight years, and this project was actually the first project I worked on in the company, so um, I've worked on a lot of different project types. Um, now I can say hospitality is one of those project types, but I've worked on a lot of higher education, K-12 museums and convention centers, um, and churches and religious projects in my career. So it's nice to have a broad range of project types. Um, and I'm, my name's Callie Harris. Um, I was with the Beck Group um, when, obviously, when we designed this project. Um, and about four years ago, I think, um, I actually left to move to the end user side of um, the design and construction world. So I'm currently at Emory University and I run the interiors group for all of the university projects. Um, so much like you said, I look at myself as very much being sort of a translator between folks like Clayton and his team and our and users um, and uh, yeah so it's you know it's a really exciting opportunity to look at design from a different perspective and and be as we said earlier sort of a steward for for our uh, for our client so thank you so one quick thing the whole goal for this event which is the architecture and the culinary space is really to for us to have dinner of course with our architects and our designer but also really to understand what they were thinking of. So as we eat dinner, once we have this conversation with them, I, I want to challenge you all to kind of just think if you know if you were in Clayton's shoes and you're back here, or Callie's shoes and you're back here, and you're just like thinking about all of the little details that went into putting this space together. Um, so I behind the menu, there's some space here, and there are pens on the table. If you have, if any question pops into your mind, please 
feel free to write it down, take notes, um, and at the end, I will welcome you all to ask questions. So, I wanted to ask, how did this project come about? How did you get wind of this project, of the Beck Group? Um, the, the Miller family, who Jerome told us about earlier on the tour, uh, when they decided that they wanted to make the building into a hotel, had found their way to a, a firm in uh, Memphis that we had worked with before. So we had done a hotel conversion uh, in Tampa for them, and they liked what we did, and they said, you need to talk to the Beck Group because they can bring a, a, an architecture and construction combined approach and could be very effective for uh, historic renovation. And so we had sort of proven that on a converting an old courthouse into a hotel, which is a La Meridian in, in Tampa. So that connection brought us to the table, and uh, we did some early pricing studies and some early concepts to test the feasibility of turning the, an office building uh, of this sort, a historic building, into a, um, a boutique hotel. And the project went forward from there. And right about that time, I had joined the company, so I was like right there on the ground floor when the project was getting started. And the restaurant was for whatever, you might remember the backstory on why, but at least in the beginning, the restaurant was sort of kept out separately from that process. So Beck was here um, doing the construction and design of the hotel, and the, ho the restaurant itself had still not really been settled. And, it had and been sort of compartmentalized as a, a separate project. Yeah. And so it came later, after construction was well underway, we started the design of the, of the restaurant. I should say, too, that, and give full credit on the interior design of the, of the rest of the building to Nicole Hollis out of San Francisco, a fantastic interior design firm that did the meeting rooms, the ballroom, all of the guest suites and the lobby that you see. We kind of won this project away from them to do the restaurant. Um, so what, you know, being respectful to their design aesthetic was part of the task of this, I think, but also, you know, having the opportunity to do a, to, to do a restaurant um, hospitality space like that was great for us to have that opportunity. No, I'd agree with that. Um, I, I like to joke that the reason we want it is because I happen to know the name of a pink, random pink marble downstairs. Um, and Dr. Miller thought, or not Dr. Miller, excuse me. I've obviously been at Emory too long. Everyone's a doctor or a dean. Um, Mr. Miller um, was you know, jokingly really impressed with that I happened to randomly know that fact um, when we walked through. But uh, they were such a joy to work with. And I think right from the very beginning, because I hadn't joined until several years after Clayton did, um, so the hotel design was well underway um, when I joined the team, and this was one of my first projects then um, here. And it was it was a really, really wonderful collaboration and opportunity to work with someone that was just genuinely, um, as Jerome said, genuinely invested in the building and and keeping the history of it alive and to be given you know a space like this that had so much history literally built in. I mean. You can't beat things like these columns and um, the views, the tile, which we, you know, unfortunately did have to cover up the majority of the space. But it was it was a really amazing opportunity. So, so did you have a narrative or what sort of concept dr drove the design of the space? I, well, I want to. I also want to say um, my role in the restaurant part of it um, was really to support Callie. So Callie was the designer and came up with the narratives, I'll, I'll say plural, because there were several that we investigated, and um, really to 
work with the history of the building. I'd say also work with the desires of the Miller family and the restaurateurs they were working with to capture the, with the direction the space ought to go. And so, like he made reference to, we did kind of come to the table initially with um, with three different schemes that we had developed, um, and. Clayton was kind enough to go through their files and find them for me and remind me of what it was that I'd written down before. Um, but we had one where we really focused on sort of the, the technology of the space. At the time, the building was a technological marvel. The fact that every floor to floor height in here was tailored to the original tenants that were you know, leasing those spaces, that all of the infrastructure was there to support. And it wasn't what we have now where you'll have an entire building and it's all corporate. And they had people, huge range. There were dental offices and all sorts of um, different uh, vendors, uh, for lack of a better word, that were in here. So that was one of the initial. So we, we looked at sort of that gilded mechanics. Um, also the idea with that, that even if the spaces were hidden, like you guys saw the vault downstairs and the amount of detail that was in those hinges that no one was gonna see. Um, and it was just there because the artistry was there. Uh, the back stairs, which we didn't see, but if we, um, if anyone get a, gets an opportunity to sneak through, they're literal back stairs that weren't meant for anyone um, from a front of house perspective to use that have the most intricate um, carvings in the, the stair railings. Um, it just literally was there because the artistry could be. Um, so that was one of the concepts, was that idea of the gilded mechanics. Um, we also looked at the building as a whole and sort of what it meant to Atlanta at the time. Um, and we had developed that one around the idea of a, the stone phoenix. So this building came apart, um, came in part shortly after Atlanta's recovery from the burning, um, all of those elements that obviously really affected Atlanta's economy, um, not to mention the um, mental um, place that the city was in. So for us to have this building that was such a technological marvel just for not only Atlanta, but the South and, and even the country, um, that was something. So we really, and with that one, we're focusing on how the building inspired us specifically. Um, and the last was looking at what Atlanta is for the world. And now, you know, we have all the t-shirts that say Atlanta influences everything, Michelle said. Um, and it's true. Um, I didn't come up with that phrase, but could uh, could have made more money, I guess, if I had. Um, but that was part of that third concept was, you know, at the time, Atlanta had, um, it's right down here, right? The movie theater where um, Gone with the Wind was premiering at the same time. It was a, a hub for arts in a way that maybe we've had a void in, um, but coming back now, um, we certainly kind of ironic that the um, space has now been used for so many film sets since that was one of the original um, inspirations. As uh, I think most of us that are designers are familiar with, um, we ended up with a hodgepodge of all three concepts. Nothing was selected wholeheartedly, but it turned out to be obviously a really um, unique space. But as Clayton said, Nicole's vision and Mr. Miller's vision for the rest of the hotel was here. And obviously we needed to do justice to being physically connected to that space. So a lot of what we put together was really respecting the existing elements in this space and the ex existing elements of the adjacent spaces. Um, so creating something that hopefully feels a little bit more unique. It isn't exactly like those. Um, it has its own personality, but it, it's, good friends with the hotel's uh, design as well.
Definitely. So I imagine there was a lot of collaboration throughout the process. <laughs> Can you tell us a bit about what that process was like? Sure. Um, again, I'm revisiting some jokes I've said many times in the past, but in this one, there were literally a lot of cooks in our kitchen. We had a lot of um, investing personalities in the space. So we had the Miller family, as we've made reference to. Um, we had Highgate, uh, which was the hotel management company that was going to be coming in afterwards. Um, and with the Miller family, it was not just Mr. Miller, but his wife. Um, one of his daughters was really heavily involved in sort of overseeing and, and um, collaborating with us. And she lived in England at the time, I believe. Um, so she would you know, join us via Zoom, which was of course all pre-COVID and we didn't know what we were doing. I think we'd do that a little better now, but um, it was a, so it was really actually a very family affair there. Um, we also had the Hilton Curio representatives um, and DSG, which uh, Clayton made rep uh, reference to. So that was the owner's rep group out of Memphis. Um, and there was also some financial parties that were involved. All of that had ties to the historic preservation credits that were being utilized. You know, it was a very, very, complicated process um, and managing who's um, everyone had an opinion of course um, and so it was just sort of balancing whose opinion on what at any given time was was the driver um, and it led to a lot of iterating um, and in the end of the day I think we landed with something that was fairly similar to one of our original concepts which again I think most of us as architects and designers are familiar with that um, that uh, rodeo, but uh, yeah, it was it was very challenging, but it was also a lot of fun. I'll say that one of the um, early decisions we had to make was where was the bar, not only which side of the building would we enter on, but where would the bar go? Would you cross the restaurant to get to the bar, or would it be the first thing you encountered? And we literally looked at it in every corner, every side, even in the center. We had one design that put the bar between those four center columns, kind of in the middle. So as a lot of exploration of, of arrangements of the major parts of the restaurant, we also had to solve the service side of it. The kitchen, as you know, is below us, and so it kind of functions like a, like a restaurant, say, in New York, where you have to go downstairs and come up. So we had to figure out the, the stair up and the stair down and how that service flow and how the kitchen would lay out to serve the restaurant. That was all dependent on which side we entered. So there's a lot of those early decisions we had to explore. and. and Ultimately, what, you, what we ended up with was coming in on that's on the um, pastry side of the restaurant, not the hotel entrance side, sort of making a presence towards the main street and hopefully drawing people in the from the street. And the, the, yes, the less modest, the more risque <laughs> side of the building. Um, so I, I would say too that when the, I can describe the space as we found it. So it was a bank lobby. Originally that door actually came in like there was an actual um, portico there which they eventually at some point filled in and, and grabbed more space when the bank went away. The, the floor that I pointed out upstairs and the one that you saw downstairs, this the floor underneath this carpet is still mosaic tile but unfortunately in here it was so destroyed there were very few pieces that were contiguous and we would have had to, it was too expensive to like fill in and replace. So ultimately we decided to leave as much as we could, which was a section at the entrance you can see. And then really we came in and covered it because it wasn't really presentable. 
Um, but huge, huge it, so you could kind of they trenched it basically. The yeah. Had been done in the space, yeah it, it had been throughout. it had been different things, and they would trench through the just not caring about the fact that this is a basically a work of art, a hand-laid mosaic tile floor, one-inch tiles in a space that's 3,000 square feet. Um, but the things that were amazing, obviously, were the columns and the, the detailed ceiling, the, the coffers and the dentals in the ceiling, which we wanted to leave intact and visible and really not um, cover up. We did have to uh, uh, have a mechanical system added, so these clouds, we generally call them clouds for the non-architects or designers, help conceal those elements while still letting you see up into the ceiling and the original architecture and um, you know original fabric of the building is exposed. You should expand on the fact that you had to go through a living nightmare with Shibo to make sure well, that you maintain the integrity. You run well, yeah, that that so the building originally um, part of its financing was to get historic tax credits, and there's a lot of. Um, state regulations you have to adhere to, and SHPO's that that uh, entity that oversees that. We had a, um, a architectural historic consultant on the project that helped us go through and identify what was reasonable to save, what was reasonable. The reason the floor is still there is if you can't save it, you need to leave it intact, and preserve it as best you can. So it's it's actually protected by the carpet and the padding, and won't be damaged any further. Um, but where we could, in a lot of the building, we could we could leave those floors exposed. And really with the exterior of the building, the, the Miller family had taken such good care of the building over time. They had really maintained it, so it was just a matter of really letting it, doing no harm, just letting it be itself and, and uh, exhibiting the, the original nature of the building. So um, I'm kind of rambling, but <laughs> I'll, I'll pass it back to you, Callie. I don't no, I, I think that that, um, so again, to the Miller family who had owned it, do you remember how long they'd owned it prior? 1978. Yes, yeah, so in 78. So they'd owned it for a long time. And as I said, it m meant a lot to all of them. So um, the ceiling in here was a big sticking point. Um, and we did multiple, multiple studies um, because we could not penetrate the ceiling the way we might in um, other buildings due to the way it is constructed. So we knew we were going to have to float these things, um, including you know the vents, the ducts, all of that. So there was a lot of studies done to see how we could um, ex keep as much of it exposed while also making it comfortable for people to come in here. Um, and one of the things that we did that's not standard on a project, I suppose, is usually um, your subs, uh, your subcontractors are going the shortest distance they can with their um, conduit to get from point A to point B. And this time we told them, no, no, we want you to go um, in the, you know, all bundled it together and move from cloud to cloud. And then once you're in the cloud, you can do whatever you want to, but otherwise, you know, you have to kind of be as organized as possible. And I, I think that it was successful um, in that it, it, it worked out. It, you know, obviously the most ideal thing would have been to magically be able to have it all disappear, but that wasn't feasible. Um, and yeah, so much like the flooring, we left the ceiling intact. Um, and so if said magical HVAC comes along someday in the future, then it can be um, put back into place. But as a general rule, it keeps the um, it keeps the, the history and the character. And that was probably one of the biggest compliments we got from um, Mr. Miller's family was that it still felt like the space that they had fallen in love with over the years.
So can you, just touching on the ceiling again, can you expand more on how you achieved keeping, um, you know, just floating the clouds? Because I noticed that there are smaller pipes. Because, you know, right, usually when you look at a, an exposed ceiling, for example, you tend to see like the large square rectangular dots. So can you explain or expand more on that? I guess I should take that one. <laughs> so. I was actually looking at this drawing this morning, but we, we looked at four different options for how to run the main trunk duct, which actually ended up at the perimeter of the space. Okay. And blowing in, we looked at options that ran down the middle. We felt like if you had to make a trade-off in the space, you want to leave the beautiful Corinthian col columns, uh, the capitals exposed in the center. And if you're gonna have a sight line issue, kind of put that off to the edge of the space where it's less impactful. So we made that kind of decision uh, on, on the scheme for the mechanical systems. And then I, I want to reiterate what Callie said. We really, really carefully ran our, con if you ever seen conduit that neatly run, but it was really so it could sort of hop, uh, uh, skip between each of these clouds and be as minimal as possible and just sort of make it go away. Um, but we had to have it. So you have to, if you don't think about these things, they tend to end up being, being put in a random fashion. Like, you know, the sub will just put in the easiest way rather than the, the more thoughtful way. So that was important. Um, but honestly, the, imp the things that were added to the space, when you think about it, are just a few walls to sort of shield the service side. Behind that wall is a service station that we didn't want exposed in the space, plus the noise. There's a stair that goes down to the kitchen there. Um, and then there's a stair that's around by the entrance that you almost barely notice, but it's there. And that stair was original, what we did put in the sort of knee wall next to it yeah. to hide it and give a place for, um, so I think you, you mentioned, you know, the, the rail height is uh, not <laughs> the standard. <laughs> um, and then the bar elements. Uh, and the bar ceiling is another area where we ran into some, um, you know, pesky code ruining all of our fun. Um, and that, you know, it needed to fit certain, um, certain parameters that perhaps were more difficult without having, you know, a normal ceiling to deal with. Um, so we did create that sort of um, area over that to hide a lot of the... Um, it's washable paint on that ceiling. <laughs> it, has to, it has to be, uh, yeah, it to meet, be. meet um, health safety code, so... And that actually over there is another one of probably what I think ended up being one of the nicest design elements, but in the beginning was probably one of the biggest pains is hidden in that large piece of millwork that's on the left-hand side um, is, uh, is a vault. Um, not a pretty vault like the one downstairs. It's like a mid-80s vault. And it was... It was, um, a, de it was a deposit... Uh, yeah. A deposit drop box. And it just, but I it's, think it it's was... It's embedded in concrete. Yeah. We couldn't get it out. Prohibitively expensive. Yeah. <laughs> so we built around it. Yep. And so it actually has usable storage, but we had, if you um, go and look in the center section, um, that is actually a dummy, um, dummy cabinetry because that's where the vault is. And then there's actual storage on the sides. Um, and if I remember correctly, there was something here as well that we had to do. Like that's again what this millwork piece at the end is. It's... it's it's capturing another area that was, um, I don't remember exactly, it might have been radiators or something we couldn't remove. Um, but that was, you know, some design elements ended up being really lovely that were there because we had to do it, uh, at least initially. Um, so we have about five minutes before dinner starts coming out and I have a few more questions to ask you, but I, I would like to open it up to our audience, you know, 
um, we can take a couple questions, um, and then during dinner, you know, we are all free to ask Kelly and Clayton. But thank you so much for sharing and kicking off our dinner. So, of course, any questions from the audience? There's, there was a myriad of technical challenges. Probably the biggest challenge was the budget, um, which is very tight. Um, we had to, we did a lot with the budget that we had, I would say. Um, no, I'd say that's probably fairly yeah, accurate. I think everything else was was a fun challenge. That one was that was the one where we had to really be creative and and look for the best value in everything that we did. And again, if you approach it as letting the space do the do the work, do the talking, so to speak, you you can do less and let that really really stand out. So that approach made a lot of sense and it really worked for us. Yeah. For me, I think it's probably the element I was talking about with the number of different individuals that we had. Um, and more specifically, that they were all over the country. Um, so someone's experience with what a restaurant can and lo does look like in New York when it's, um, you know, they're used to spaces that are in teeny tiny um, areas that have vestibules created out of curtains just so you can get in from outside without being blown over by whatever wind. And then we had folks that were in California and were, had a different sort of mental standard of what a restaurant looked like. And then we had people that were here. And so trying to kind of get everyone on the same page of, you know, what works in one place doesn't necessarily work here. And we did a lot of um, research and studying of what successful restaurants sort of in this um, this area were, and I think at the end of the day, we, we, we learned and probably brought some pieces from each of those other groups' experiences in here, but were you know, able to create something that was unique to, to this space. So that was definitely, um, definitely, including London, you know, that we had someone who was in London, till, and it was like, well, um, you guys have a very different way of dealing with these things than we do. So that was, that was part of it too, for sure. So with the marble that um, showcased in the uh, restaurant, did you have to do any additional cutting or any type of customization with the marble that's here? The only customization we did with the marble, um, and I'm not even sure if that's the word I would use it for, all the columns, um, all the capitals, everything was existing. The one thing that was not previously shown um, was the marble block that's on this back wall. Um, and as you'll notice, we have um, the picture rail that's dropped at a certain height and then there's wall covering above. That's because above that, the, the marble block was not in any type of um, shape, M much like the floor. It was, um, had been cut through. It cracked up, cracked away. And what we had always been under, and Clayton, you'll remember this a little better than me, but marble is always structural in these instances, but that was utilitarian. You know, that wasn't meant to be shown ever. Um, but the fact that it's still there and still that beautiful and that we got to show something that was more like like the mechanics we were talking about in the vault downstairs with the etching, you know, where it was there because high quality work was the standard at the time. And we got to uncover that here. And, and I thought that was a really exciting thing. So we didn't really we didn't really customize it. We got to we got to uncover it. So. I have one last question. So when the Millers came to you, when you won the bid, what exactly did they say to you? What was their vision, their impossible vision that they presented to you to say, 
I want the hotel to look like ABC or I want the hotel to look like BBF. I, well, honestly, I would say that the one of the joys of working with them was that they were very much trusting of our creative abilities and talents to, to show them ideas and bring them thoughts. And I think that working with them um, in that way of, of, of coming to them with our interpretation of the building and um, having them say, yes, we see the same thing or we didn't see that and we, and we like that idea a lot, let's bring that out, was the way that we worked with them and the way they worked with Nicole. Um, they were very receptive to um, a lot of ideas and some they said, nope, we're not doing that. Um, but most of them they were very open to. So the creativity that they allowed us was, was, was great. And so it was our job to really bring that vision out with them. I completely understand yeah. it because uh, us as operators of the hotel, they basically treat us the same manner. Yeah. You know, they trust us to, uh, they trust our abilities and our professions. The, to to reiterate, reiterate what you said, I'm having trouble with that word. Um, the Millers love the building and very quickly in talking to them, even at the first meeting, it was very clear how much they cared about the building and how much, so the main charge was to be respectful, um, to understand the building, to know its history the way that they did, and to make that part and infuse the design that we came back with, the design ideas that we came back with. And so knowing that they cared that much made us care all the more. What was the time frame between the time that the building was punched until the hotel opened? I don't know. I don't either. I mean, it was, timing was... It was months, I think, but um, um, the... Yeah. the but didn't the restaurant open like three months after the hotel did? I think I think that's where the timeline. The restaurant came a little later. wasn't open right away, but it all ha it all got open grand open by the time the grand opening happened for the hotel. So soft opening restaurant, then grand opening. And then unfortunately COVID. And then COVID happened. Yeah. So. It's literally like opening right now. Yeah. challenge that we didn't touch on that was very interesting and and we'll can speak more on it later if you want us to but um, there were two restaurateurs that we one we engaged with initially 
um, with the, the Miller family and um, about, I don't even know how long into the process, um, that relationship was terminated and another restaurateur was brought in and that was the one that we, um, Hugh Atchison, who was um, instrumental in the rest of the development of you know, the, the interiors of the restaurant um, and instrumental into the brand. So switching gears midstream from a design perspective was, um, it was, it was pretty significant. I mean, that's when we had this big monolithic bar in the middle of the restaurant and we had the entrance coming in from over here and all of a sudden we were pivoting to something that was a much more humble and subtle um, space that was, you know, it was just, it was a challenge, but it, I think in the end turned out to be a really um, wonderful product. Yeah, we did, we, we did have to sort of start over with a new um, operator of the restaurant with a completely different vision, but I think the strength of Cali's initial design ideas transferred really well over and they, they, they saw the value in them and it got executed differently, but um, I think they bought into the, the same vision of the, what the space could be uh, with Hugh um, and his team. So, but we did have to kind of like, wait a minute, um, okay, backing up a little bit. Uh, we thought we had the design finished and now we're, we're uh, going to kick it off again. So, I actually have a note that says, uh, uh, restaurant design kickoff number two, like, okay, two kickoffs, all right. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but like I said, at the end of the day, I think we ended up back kind of where we had started with, which is always, you know, funny and uh, and reassuring as well. Yeah, and everybody was great to work with, so. Yeah. So after stepping back into the space now, what do you think, current, present day? I'm proud of it. Thank you. Yeah, and I, I think you like should I be too. <laughs> My first time in the space too. I mean, I think it's a, the right decision was made. It really allows people to enjoy the space a lot more than if the entrance was there. If the bar was really loud here, and like you said, it frames the history right outside of the city. So I think it really all came together exactly the way it was supposed to. There was a lot of talk about being able to sit here and like watch the cars coming at night when it's dark and you know kind of cozy in here and all. And we're not there yet because it's the summertime, but it'll 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 get there. So. So do you have a favorite design moment in the space? I, I love the bar myself. <laughs> they, we'll have to go check it out. They, they make good drinks there, yes. Um, I think the whole, I think as a whole, I mean, it's really hard, like when we did the photography for the space, and I'm looking at, it's always hard to pick the view that best shows the space, because almost anywhere you look, it's, it's really jaw-dropping, so. Um, no, but I, I think the bar came out great. That was. We're sitting at it. This was made by an artist in Athens. That um, so handmade, uh, Georgia, Athens, Georgia, I should say. Um, and he did an amazing job. And so to have something handmade in a building where everything was handmade. I love this brass um, detail. Yeah, and the little brass detail is a nod to yeah. So it. He did an amazing job, and so we we designed the table with him. Um, so I'm pretty dang proud of that, and of this sort of whole moment here, um, and the fact that we're still we're in a busy restaurant right now, but we feel like we're in our own space, um, and I, I think that's really lovely. Yeah, this is always seen seen as like a, a, a dining room within a dining room. This this one zone here de defined by the columns. So I'm curious, what got you both into architecture and design? 
You go first. You want me to go first? Well, our, neither one of ours is a straight path, so. Uh, how many architects or designers are here tonight? Okay. <laughs> well, uh, for my, for me, uh, it was almost an accident. I, I went to college with an in, and was accepted as an engineer, but got a tour of the architecture school, which was right next to the engineering school, and changed my major that same day. <laughs> I realized I had made a big mistake and I needed to be in architecture. Guys always been creative. I always built models and drew and took things apart, put them back together and it just was like exactly right for me. So I had no idea what I was doing or what I was getting into. But you also took a you took a break and did graphic design right, I did. for a while I had and a, then came I, back. I took a break from it, but I came back, yeah. I had a web design company in the in the Almost six years. Yeah. yeah. Um, the market fell out of the web design business, and I, I was also kind of bored with it. And I knew I had to get back into what I was really meant to do. So I went back. Oh, thank you, Callie. Uh, I, I actually I was a theater major in college, and um, as one can be fairly confident. It's not the most lucrative field for most people. Um, although I like to say, obviously, I still get to use it, you know, and um, I have always been comfortable talking in front of clients, and that's um, certainly why. Um, but, you know, my my joke is that I, I figured out a way to be creative and design and get paid, which is different than being a theater kid most of the time. So um, it's something that I had always done uh, and always loved, and I went to a liberal arts uh, liberal arts college initially, where there wasn't an interiors program. So I didn't do it then, and, and made the switch later. And some ways, I wish I hadn't lost that time in sort of making it a second career for myself. Uh, but at the same time, I know that I bring a lot of that to the literal table sometimes, and and I'm I'm thankful for the experience. I think that there's a lot more overlap than people, especially in like hospitality spaces, where a lot of it is performative. Um, so you know, it's much like in theater, it's about getting people to have the experience you want them to have when they're sitting in the space. So is you know, so is hospitality, so is architecture and design. So I, I think there's a lot more overlap than people give it credit for. So you know, maybe not with my Shakespeare as much, but I still got it. You never know. Yeah. So what's the design is narrative. It's true. It's very true. Yeah. Can you share more about the hotel? Well, if you, um, it was a challenge. So the, the building is a, is a flat iron shaped building um, and it's a V-shaped plan and the elevators are all right in the center. So to turn, an, and it works great for an office building because there's no back of house, but a hotel has a back of house. So how do you make that distinction between what guests see and what, what um, the service side sees, or how they operate, and there's a there is a, a service elevator in the very back that you know how much duty that service elevator does. Um, so solving the functional aspects was challenging, but we and but we figured it out. Um, there's the grand stair that we went up and down for the tour, and there was one exit stair which was originally open from the ground floor all the way up, and at some point 
I guess probably in the 70s, it was enclosed. And that's the stair that Cal is referring to that we go and it's all this intricately um, detailed brass hand railings. It's a beautiful stair that you never see. It's, a, it's a, literally an exit stair now, but we had to add an exit stair. So we took a bay on the opposite side. You know, we had to get our exit distances correct. Um, and we blasted a, a bay out and put a stair from starting from the top and put the steel in all the way to the bottom. And then this, the exit path had to go over the top of the um, lounge space over this and come out on the, it's this convoluted way to get the exiting to work. So that was challenging to solve. But there's a lot of talk these days about turning office buildings into residential spaces. And this is the ideal type of building for that because it has a narrow floor plate with operable windows on both sides. So you, you can have a quarter and you know double loaded quarter and reasonable size rooms. So converting it from the off, an old style office to hotel rooms is pretty straightforward. So the, the stairwell that you're speaking about, we call it stairwell one. So if you come off the guest room floor, take a right, and then immediately to the left, that's stairwell. That's yeah. the one you're speaking about? I'm pretty um, sure. It is. Is it? I don't remember. Yeah. Is it the one by the ballroom side? No. Or is it's, it the one right here? It's right, yeah. If you're yeah. going the up one the elevator. The one. Oh, the one. Yeah. So, we, um, one of David's groups that came through for Chilgibbers, we were trying to decide what it was originally because it looks like it was completely which would have been very dangerous. So now it's got different railings. But the brass on that and the detail on that is absolutely amazing. But we do well, a lot of film production, but we're not able to do a scene because you can't see from well, top to bottom. If you go in, next time you go in there and you see that wall in the middle, you, that, that wall is a shaft they put in to pressurize the stair. And so it filled it in. So that's, a, I was saying to him, that's a safety feature that you have to have now. And because it's what, because this has changed hands in the sense of what its origins were, if you were to go to the Fox condo right across the street from Jordan Terrace, because it's always been in private hands, I think they've never had to bring that up to code. So if you go to the top floor, you can drop a tennis ball. Boom. Now, that was the way that stair was originally. We could do a lot of uh, chase film production if that was open, <laughs> because they can't, the camera can't see down. So there's no cat and mouse. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, it is, it's a, it's, we always felt it was unfortunate that it had been kind of covered up and concealed because it was the main stair up and down. Yeah, the other thing about it is about that and actually, they start, when I was getting to come here and look at what's happening, they went, they went, they were saying, okay, we're going to polish all this. They polished like one flight and said, you know what, we're good. We're good here. I, I forgot what Florida's on, but I've seen that. It's amazing. Well, it's been such a great conversation, and of course we can continue this during dinner, um, but the food looks so good and smells so good. <laughs> Thank you for listening. I hope you got a feel of the conversations we had over a delicious dinner with Callie and Clayton. Everyone present was very engaged, and we asked as many questions as the time permitted about their experience in the field and how it helped them with the renovation of the By George restaurant. This event was so successful, and I plan on adding this event style to the roster of Layers of Design. So stay tuned and don't miss the next one.